Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I thought the devotions was a good foundation for what I felt led to preach on this morning. The question this morning I have as a springboard for the message is, did it have to be Jesus that came to bring salvation to the earth, to the human kind on earth. We look forward to celebrating his coming this month, but I want to look at the why of his coming. Because of biblical prophecies, you could say, yes, it had to be Jesus, and that's true. But could have God made a way otherwise? Could he have done it another way? So turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be looking here at the story that took place just after God gave the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. Moses brought down the first Ten Commandments that God had made, had engraved on stone. But because the children of Israel had been worshiping the golden calf when Moses came back, he threw the, command, he threw the tablets of, of stone down. They broke. And this is then after that. I want to pick up at verse 11 of Exodus 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find, find grace in thy sight. And consider this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence not go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here, that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, if it's not, thou goest with us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, which is Moses saying, I beseech thee, show me thy glory, speaking to God. And, and he, this is now God, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. And he said, and this is God, saying, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass when my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cleft in the, of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will not take away my hand, and thou shalt 
house. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You may say, why, why am I reading this this morning? First, I want to think about, if Jesus had not come, what if God the Father had come to make a way to save us, to redeem us? We see here that that was not possible because of God's holiness and power. It says quite clearly here that if any man would actually see God, he would instantly die. If I believe one of two things would happen. The fact that if God would enter into a sinful man, it would either destroy the holiness of God or the person would die. And God's holiness cannot be destroyed, so the person would die. So we know that God the Father could not come. Otherwise, we would have all died if we would actually see God face to face. What does it mean here, though, when it says that Moses saw him face to face? By comparison, Moses is probably one of the holiest people, the best people in human eyes. And yet he was not even permitted to see. He was not holy enough to see God. The face-to-face part, I believe, meant that he was in close proximity with God. And we know that he was in close proximity because we're not going to read the verses, but in Exodus 34, when Moses came back to the children of Israel, they were scared to look upon him because his face glowed. And it said, the Bible says, because he was in the presence of God. So we recognize that had God come to earth to save us, I believe that we would have all died. And yet, God wanted to redeem us. He wanted to make a way of salvation. What about the Holy Spirit? Why could not have God sent the Holy Spirit to come? When we look at the laws, the rules, you could say, I mean, God created the world. He created the rules. He set up the moral laws, the moral law of sin. If, if you sin, there will be punishment that follows. He set up the physical laws, one of those being if something goes up, it must come back down. All these different things, as scientists look at creation, there are all kinds of laws, physics laws, and then we also know there are moral laws. We look at his world history and nations And if there's sin, if there's a rejection of God's basic laws, there are consequences to those things. Why couldn't God have made made the laws in a way or another way to redeem us as mankind? And I believe the reason is because of the laws he had set in place. It could not be him. It could not be the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons is, had it been the Holy Spirit that came, we would have not been able to see it. 
The Holy Spirit cannot be seen by our eyes or heard by our ears or touched. We needed someone to come that could be seen, heard, and touched as Jesus was. That could be able to feel pain emotionally and physically. He had to be, rep- be able to live on earth as a representative of both God and man. And we know that Jesus was able to do that. Otherwise, I don't believe there would have been any way for him to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. But someone had to come. Somebody had to come to defeat Satan and to pay for the cost of sin. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took on him, took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. The only way that there could be victory over death and over sin, which death is the result of sin. Before there was sin in the garden, there was no death. After sin, death was a requirement. But it had to be someone, as it speaks of here in Hebrews 2, had to be someone who could understand us, be like us. There was no angel that could come down and fulfill the requirements for redemption because an angel can't feel and be tempted the way we are. They're not subject to the the struggles that we are. So it needed to be someone like it needed to be Jesus. It couldn't be someone else. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty one, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As we look at this verse here in 2 Corinthians, um, in the original, there's not, the 2B is not in there. So we could also read this, For he hath made him sin for us, who knew no sin. What does this mean that he was made sin for us. Recently I came across some false teaching that is out there. I don't know if any of you have heard this, have been exposed to this, but I believe it's something we need to be careful about. But there's this teaching that Jesus 
became sin in the sense that he actually sinned himself. That he went through and actually did the sin. And I believe this is very dangerous and we'll break it down here because if Jesus actually did the sin, then he would no longer be able to be our Savior. If he was no longer sinless and pure, he would no longer be able to take on our sin and die in our place. So rather than being sin in the sense of being a sinner, we need to recognize that he took on the sin. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. A well-known passage speaking of uh, prophecies of Jesus. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. As we read through these verses and thinking about this idea, what it meant for him, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for him to be made sin for us. All of, every time it talks about him taking on the sin I believe it's saying it outwardly. He took it on him on the outside. He didn't actually sin to do this, to, do, to pay for our sin. But he took it on it as a cloak, as something on the outside. That way he could remain pure on the inside, sinless and pure. Just as the uh, sacrificial lamb that would be offered up each year by the Jews in the Old Testament. He had to remain pure on the inside while taking on our sin. In verse 9, it makes it clear 
It says that he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus did not actually sin to do this, but took on the sin for us. I had to think of an analogy. I don't know if it's a good one, but brides on their wedding day typically wear a pure white dress to represent that she is pure and chaste as she commits herself to her new husband. She has blemishes. She isn't perfect because no human is. But yet the dress represents purity. In the reverse, Jesus was pure and sinless on the inside. But yet he took on the garment of filthiness of our sin. And even worse than that, his skin was torn and he was bruised and beaten and pierced for my sin, for your sin. And yet, through all that, he remained sinless. And he even did one of the, I believe, one of the most difficult things for us as humans to do. He forgave the very people who were doing these things to him. But thinking again of this idea that Jesus actually committed the sins as he bore them, I believe it hurt him terribly to take on those sins. It wasn't a light thing. It wasn't just like putting on a coat or a garment that you barely feel. But I believe those hours spent on the cross, he was in agony for those sins. But yet he didn't participate in them. He remained sinless. If he had committed the sins that you and I commit, then he would have been no different than we are. He would have been unable to die for our sins. And he could have only died for his own sins. And yet would have also needed a, someone to redeem him. But we know that's not true. False religions often deal with Jesus to try to deny either his sinlessness or his deity. They either try to attack it one way or the other. And I believe, though, today that those teachings are creeping into even churches that claim to believe and practice the Bible. Let us not forget what Jesus did and why he came. It was a miracle that Jesus was born of a virgin and not of a man. It's a miracle that he was part of the Godhead and yet came to earth. And it's something hard, I think, for all of us. It's hard for me to grasp. Why would Jesus be willing to do that? And yet it was because of his love for me and love for each one of you. It's a miracle, and that's why there are those who think that everything has to make perfect sense and be logical. They often deny this, but how could Jesus be fully human and yet fully God at the same time? And I don't believe for a second that he was just never tempted or never struggled. Hebrews, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 again. Hebrews 2, verse 
verse that we read earlier. I just want to read it again. Hebrews 2.18, For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help those that are tempted. He was tempted. It wasn't that he just went through life with never a temptation, never a struggle. He was fully human, and yet, being fully God, he had the power over sin to say no and to remain sinless. But I believe he had a choice. He was in a human body, just as we have the choice whether to do right or wrong. He had the choice, but I'm so thankful that he made the choice to be sinless. And if that wasn't hard enough, then he made the choice to go to the cross and to die for my sins, for each one of your sins. This should give us joy and peace this season as we think about his coming. To give us to help us remember what the true reason that he came. It wasn't so that we could give Christmas gifts, have lavish Christmas meals. But it was to bring us joy and peace and to give us an opportunity to spend eternity with him. So did Jesus need to come? I think it made it clear that he did. And in closing, I'm going to look at 30 different things that Jesus fulfilled when he came. Or things that he, the reason, 30 reasons why he came. And I got this from KevinHolleran.net if you want to look up this list. If you want to write this down, I'll just go through it. I'm not going to read every passage. One, he came to do the will of the Father, found in John 6. 38. He came to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. He came to bring light to a dark world, John 12.46. He came to be made to make like his people, to be made like his people. Hebrews 2, we looked at those verses. 5. He came to bear witness to the truth. John 18.37, when he was with Pilate, and Pilate asked him, you know, why are you here? He made it clear of why he was there. Number six, he came to destroy the devil and his works, found in 1 John 3.8. Seven, he came to give eternal life, John 6, verse 51. Number eight, he came to receive worship, Matthew 2. 1 to 2 in verse 11. He came to bring joy. Luke 2, a passage that we often read at Christmas time. The next one, number 10, I'd like to look at that passage, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8.
Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, who was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came to demonstrate true humility. Number 11, he came to preach the gospel, Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. He came to bring judgment, John 9, 39 to 41. 13, he came, came to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45, and then also in 10, 45 is he came to serve. Number 15, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17. He came to reveal God's loves for sinners, John 3.16. He came to call sinners to repentance, Mark 2.17. He came to die, John 12.24-27. He came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19, verse 5, and then 9 to 10, verses 9 to 10. He came to bring peace. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, but he also came to bring a sword. Matthew 10, 34. He came to bind up the broken hearts. I'd like to turn there to Isaiah chapter 61. Just read those verses quickly. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them upon them unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And I'm so thankful for that. He came to give us a spirit of adoption, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. He came to make us partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4. He came to reign as king, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. He came to be a merciful and faithful high priest, Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. He came to be the second and greater Adam, Romans 5, verses 14 through 15. He came to satisfy our deepest thirst, John 4, verses 13 to 14. He came to be loved by God's children, John 8, 42. And the last one, he came to reveal God's glory and I'm so thankful he came I'm so thankful that God made a way none of us deserved it but yet God did it and I hope that we remember during this season the true reasons the true meaning and God bless each one of you